for kids, they couldn't move. They were just swimming. Life became so hard for me and for my siblings to annex and that it took me six years to go back to school. It is not, it's not always too late for you to do something or to start now. You may say you are late, but you never know. You may start today and people listen to you. Growing up in eastern Uganda, Nyombi Morris's life has been dictated by climate disaster. At the age of nine, awful flooding hit Nyombi's town and his family was forced to move to Kampala, the capital of Uganda. From there, he's gone on a serious journey and overcome a number of obstacles to get to where he is, including going back to school after years out, getting onto the job ladder by managing footballers' social media accounts, and now he lives the challenges of being a young Ugandan man trying to speak up about climate change. More and more people are talking about how the effects of climate change are felt unevenly around the world. Nyombi has experienced these effects firsthand, and he's used that experience as motivation to try and stop what happened to him happening to other people. It feels obvious to say that his story is inspiring, um, but what feels most important about Nyombi's message is that he has real life experience of being part of the climate crisis and voices like his need to be represented. A pre-warning about the audio quality, uh, Nyombi was in a shared space while recording in Kampala, so at times his audio is a bit unclear, but it definitely doesn't take away from his fascinating story into working on climate issues. Nyombi, thanks so much for joining us today. Firstly, can you tell us a bit about your background and why you feel so strongly about the environment, how you got into that in the first place? Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, Max, thank you so much for inviting me on this wonderful podcast. My name is Jimmy Morris, and I'm a youth climate justice activist from Uganda. I've been in a fight for now three years. Ever since I began, I've done different activities. Reason being, I was a victim to climate change when I was still young. Back then, when we used to stay in the eastern part of Uganda, mom and dad had a farm. We had actually that farm is at the same time, it was our home where we used to stay. As I was a kid, I used to see them doing farming. And also, we had some cattle rearing. So, with time, things started changing as you already see, seasons were changing almost every after six months. Where you expect rain, there was sunshine, and where you expect at least some sunshine, it was heavy rains and flooding. This became so dangerous to people who are actually who are staying near a lake. This lake, Lake Victoria, because it is big for us, we used to stay near its shores. This became so dangerous because 
there were some people, or I call them perpetrators, who used to focus so much on money. And these were the Indian companies that used to come and do illegal sand mining in our area because it was so profitable in that. They said they had approval from our government, so they are not doing it illegally, whereby it was damaging our environment and also it was damaging the lake itself because it caused the lake to start expanding. Uh, the holes they created during uh, the sand mining became so many to an extent we are extending where we are. Imagine from the shores, you start extending because you fear to go deep in the lake, water continue to go high. What they did was to continue. They never stopped because they were handing a lot. And today, uh, this thing caused us to evacuate. In 2007, there was a heavy flooding that took four days, which led the government to declare a climate emergency in that area where we used to stay. They told us, we can't help you when you are still in that area unless you move to another area as the as time goes, it will stabilize. That's what they promised us. The government announced that and many people were forced to evacuate. One of the biggest changes that happened that night that I will never forget is that when it rained, water took over our home. Mm. Almost all the entire houses that were within were flooding. At that night, when it was raining, because me, I was with my mom most of the time. Dad used to go to town because we are, we are not staying near the town. It was deep in the village. So he could go to town, buy some stuff, then come back because Kampala was just like another city in another world. So yeah. we used to hear like our dad has gone to town and uh, he will be coming back in one day or two. So most of the time we couldn't expect him to come back in one day or two. So sometimes we'll be like three days or what, but we expect a bed because we are young. We expect something. So that time it rained when we were with my mom. She told us to wake up. We carried our bags with, with in basins because that was the only escape route for them not to get wet. We used, because there was power, there was power outrage. Mom was using a button phone light, a button phone to light whatever we were doing that very night. So we spent the entire night standing, and some, our my two sisters, because they were young, like two, two years, and one was just one year. Oh my God! Mom had to carry the entire night. Two of them, so one was in front, another one was back. So tied them. Yeah. While carrying some some other luggages because we haven't had a television that got destroyed during that time because yeah. flooding couldn't, we couldn't so, carry that the entire night. So we we had to leave it there and uh, water took over. Was this, our, so, was this an entire entire community? And did you get, was there any support from, from the government or did they just say you have to evacuate? Yes, the government, the entire, the next day after the event took over, uh, everyone was just, uh, I don't know what can call it, sailing, sailing in water, like yeah, trying yeah. to move out. And the government was like, no, we cannot help you because this water is going high. For kids, they couldn't move. They were just swimming. 
to move out of the area for kids to was just swimming. So it wasn't so easy for us. But from my mom telling us that, you know what, Maurice, we have to leave as we wait for your dad to come back. So at first, we went to our neighbor. Uh, there was a friend to my mom who was in the next city. Yeah, That's where we first lived for two days with all our, our bags in the benzene, our cups and everything. Yeah. So from there, that's where dad picked us from. And we went to Kampala where we had our grandma who accepted to host us for some good time as my parents look for jobs. So during that time, that's where life became hard because when we moved to Kampala, everything was very expensive. The life of living was so different. And yeah. also my mom and dad didn't get enough education to like to apply for good jobs. It wasn't easy. So dad first went into construction site where he can earn some living. Uh, most of the time he could come back with a bread. But as you know, sometimes not enough because mm. basic needs are so many when you have just landed in two in new, in new area you need to first learn how to spend so the first two months were yeah. so tight for us. Uh, but again we got another surprise when dad abandoned us after five months <laughs> he used to go and come back until one day when he went and never came back so it was so tight we thought maybe he's somewhere uh until one week passed and mom was like i need to go to police and find out maybe he was killed maybe somewhere or maybe something happened mom filed up a case this case took three months when police was looking for the man and never found him anywhere. So we had to accept that now we are left with mom. Yeah. Mom was the, at the same time, she was the mom to take care of us. Life became so hard for me and for my siblings to annex and that it took me six years to go back to school after getting a scholarship in a primary school because when we are left with my mom she she started looking for jobs and uh, one of the first jobs she got was uh, to act work as a housewife in a certain uh, in someone's place mm -hmm. so from there she started earning some money so she could come back with some food I can call it some food that they have given to her as payment because at first it was she was working for food because she said i don't need money because money is not enough to sustain my kids you'll be giving me food only yeah. food when she was given food she used to bring back home and i was the one now taking care of my young siblings i was just nine years so from there the our employees her employers were like, yeah, I think we should help her somehow, somewhere, because she has been working for us. That is after two years. Yeah. They were like, okay, we can, we can give Maurice some support in how to go back to school. So I resumed from primary five. I started studying again in 2000, was it? Uh, I think 2011. Uh, I started studying. I continued my study until I finalized my primary level. Then went to university. I was lucky. I got a scholarship still in, a, in another university that offered to pay for my O-level. 
from senior one to senior four. Now, when I finalized that, I had to look for another level, like go to another level. That's why I got challenges because a level was so hard for me. I didn't, I didn't pass, like I didn't get enough passes they wanted for scholarship. Uh-huh. So it was so tight. When I came back home, mom was like, now Morris, it has become so hard again. And I need to make sure your siblings also get enough education, like the one you have got, maybe too little, but it's worth it compared to what your siblings are having. And they are also growing like you. So she told me, Maurice, I need to stop giving you support. If possible, try looking for your, for the world, like surviving. So it was so tight again. After two months, two months, when I was home doing nothing, uh, she got a, a phone call from a friend that they were giving scholarship again in a certain radio station. She went there and she submitted my papers. They approved me and they gave me scholarship to study IT and computer science in a certain institute. That's where I did my first certificate for two years up to 2018. Now from 18, I had to look for a way forward. This way forward was so hard again. I had to start now looking for jobs Mm. to survive this time around they did, they did not add me any scholarship uh, but I wanted to upgrade to diploma after a certificate okay so from a certificate it took me another five months to get some job and I got a good job where I was a data entrant and uh, they were they were giving me something like uh, a half a dollar a half hundred dollar like fifty dollars yeah okay that dollars helped me so much to go back again and upgrade on my certificate to diploma. But this one was so tight. Sometimes I could miss exams. Sometimes I could have a lot of retakes. <laughs> Life was so hard. Yeah. But I managed to finalize in 2020. And uh, I did graduate, but I got my transcript after six months because I had no money to for graduation yeah you're are you now going back yeah uh i wanted to go back again this time around i don't think i'll be the one supporting myself because it taught me a lesson that you need someone to support you otherwise you can't be making money from this side and bringing it here again you have to survive yeah it was so tight and i was at first i thought i was earning enough because 300 200 ugandan shillings uh, was some something worth it until i started investing in education then i realized life was so hard taught me a lesson that yeah however much i'm earning this is too small for me so from there i started in 2019 actually after my certificate I was so much involved in, uh, I call it what, social media management. Yeah, I was so much involved in social media management. I was was so much in touch with a different, there is a betting company that I was helping out, even some uh, uh, footballers. 
uh, I, I used to manage one of the footballers' account. It's called Chizitolwanga. So in, in February up to June, I was managing his page. That's so and the page is very, is very fine, by the way. So through that page, I happened to see Vanessa Nakate one day, one of the activists here in Uganda. She yeah. was on television. Actually, she was my neighbor by then. But I happened to see her on television standing in front of our parliament demanding for crime and justice. I was like, wow, how comes? Because I used to spend most of my time on social media, learning a lot and seeing different things, responding yeah. to messages when I was when I was handling the other uh, footballers account on Facebook. So when I saw her, I was surprised. I was like, but I know this girl. She's my neighbor. How come she's doing this? So from there, I had to find a way of reaching out to her to know more about what she was doing because climate change is something new to us. We are experiencing it, but it doesn't mean we know it. Yeah. We are just seeing what is happening. That's so interesting that because that is such a journey and you know all the ups and downs of the journey but i was going to ask about whether you'd kind of associated being evacuated when you were nine years old with climate change or were you just too young then and you only started to make that link in 2019 when you saw this woman speaking yeah actually yeah as i said before that uh, in 2009 that's when 2007, that's when the impact happened and yeah. we shifted. But I was nine years. Yeah. I was nine years. And I didn't fall up. I didn't fall up because I was young. But this came back again after some good decades, like one decade and a half, when I, I started being so much on social media and mm-hmm. watching television. That's when I discovered Vanessa Nakati. She was my neighbor, but I didn't know what she does, like anything concerning climate change until the day I saw her on the television talking about it. Then I was like, I need to find out why was she doing this and how can I help her? Because I realized there was something I could help in social media developing because I was good on social media and I yeah, discovered she had no people on social media who are supporting her work. So uh, we organized, she organized yes. a, a, a community cleanup, but it wasn't easy to reach out to her because <laughs> she was like she had got some attention and you know when you are receiving a lot of messages a call up sometimes it's very hard to reach out to everyone yeah so it took me like three months to get her she worked, she organized a, a community cleanup in uh, august 16 okay and through that community cleanup I talked to her, I was like, how comes you are doing this? Because in Uganda, it is not allowed. How can you go to street and strike? How? It is not allowed. They will arrest you. What are you talking about? So we had a lot of discussion. Our conversation took long and she told me that, Maurice, you also need to be part of this because it is not my cause. It is a global cause. Yeah. That's what she told me. And I was like, okay. So how am I going to help? Because I don't know the topic. That's the first thing. I'm not sure about the topic, however much I know. She told me, 
according to your story because I told her my story and she was like, your story links to this. If you go back and check, climate change is one of the things that linked to flooding. That flooding was not just caused or was not just, did not just happen. It was caused by either industrialization or the illegal sand mining we talked about. Yeah. So from there, I went back home to think about it and how I can be helpful in our campaign. So after one and a half months, I contacted her and I was like, I can help you on social media. I can do something for you. And so did you start from there, take your own actions or you started to link? I know you said you linked to her. Okay, so you weren't sort of striking or anything like that at that point. Yeah, the community cleanup is the first action I think I did. Yeah. But uh, I don't count it so much because... Uh, I had to first go back on social media, be a handler for some good man. Actually, I started I started working with her on 16th September, working on social media accounts. Yeah. From 16th, when we opened up Facebook, I took over. From there, I started learning how to post. I'll talk about climate change, where to get the information I need. That's where I started expanding my knowledge about it. Sure. And also ideas on what to post, what to tweet, and uh, how to engage myself. Because it wasn't easy to just come from nowhere and be like, I'm part of the solution. What yeah, solution are you offering? Yes. So managing her social media accounts gave me courage and boost and also... Uh, Forced me to go and join her. Yeah, amazing. The first, yeah, the first time uh, I started on speed was in October. Yeah. 2019. It wasn't easy because I was like, how comes, how can I stand on speed? Really? How can I? Like, how can I reach out to people? I was nervous even. Yeah, I bet. But from there, started gaining that confidence and I was like, yeah, I can do something. I started writing a lot of cardboards, writing a lot of things on cardboard. Then I could go on street with my young sister. Was it just you? It was just you too? Yes. So good. (laughs) Yeah, so she used to help me carry. Sometimes I would be like, ha, they would look at me and be like, no, let me use my sister. Then from there, I gained confidence and started standing alone with her sometimes, with some other friends. Yeah. So since 2019, that's what I've been doing. Since I started the first time in October, I never stopped. Amazing. That's, it's just such a great journey. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right, that you had that experience when you were younger and then came to it, you know, 12 years later. And um, yeah. and you're here now. Um, so I know you do a lot of uh, work on, like you said, climate justice and um, gender equality. And I guess, you know, just for, for people, because it's a big term that's going around. But what does climate justice mean? What does it mean for you? Yeah. For me, first of all, is being with a will. That is one of the justice we are still lacking and is on is not frontline because yes, we say we need it, we need justice now, but yeah. are people who 
to, to bring it out? Who are those people willing to bring it out? Are they the one in power? If they are, what have they done so far? Yeah. That is justice, having a will to do something. Okay. And but, uh, frontline also the voices of those that are mostly impacted, listening to them, giving them chance to speak, telling their stories like this podcast. That is justice because it starts from storytelling, from storytelling. That's where you come out with some either empathy, you feel it. After feeling it, you'll be forced to do something. But there are some people who are willing to take action, but they are not aware of what is happening. That's why I frontline storytelling as one of the justice we have. Passing the mic, giving out a chance to those that are most impacted is mm. one justice. It's one of the justice we need to frontline. Also, realizing that the most affected people need to be treated fairly. Mm the way those who contribute the most are treated. And how, I mean, you know, it's, it's a question that I feel like I've asked many times for, to people on this podcast, but what does that look like? How do you go about doing that? Because, I, I mean, I, I won't say there's no progress. It feels like there is progress in terms of more people speaking up, but we still have leaders who, don't necessarily make it a priority. Why I say it, uh, frontlining the voices, yeah. go back to conferences that are taking place, starting from COP26, going to Stockholm Plus 50. Most of the time, activists from Global South are denied visas, are denied access to yeah. these events. And you're telling me you want to help them overcome these worst impacts. What are you going to uh, like what are you going? What actions are you going to take when you are not aware of what is happening in their countries? Because each country has a different story mm. and has different impacts and different challenges they are going through. Whenever you you downplay, uh, you don't give them chances. There's nothing you are going to solve. There's nothing. So the only way to start taking action, it starts from listening to what is what exactly is happening yeah. in specific areas and locations. Then from there, we need to make sure that we put our actions in implementation, not only in projects as it has been for some good years. We have seen, we are pushing for Paris to stay alive. Mm. We are pushing for net zero world, but all this is still in words. Solutions are around, but who are the people to implement it? And where is the support? Yeah. The support is lacking. Words are so many. Sweet speeches are so many. Activists in Global North are, give, are being given platforms that they don't deserve instead of giving it to those who are in Global South. Do you feel heard yourself? No, I'm not. Today, as I told you when I was beginning, uh, two visas are still in process, but ask me, when did you start applying for those visas? I'll tell you two months ago. Mm. Why should they take two months? Yeah. Me, it is like 
a, a way of excluding us because if I fail to secure them, meaning I'll not be there, I'll always be on virtual calls. Yeah. And even on conferencing, they don't call you, they don't invite you. Even on conference, they don't invite you, they don't call you. Yeah. To you, you may be able to reach out and be like, yes, Nyomi, I would like to interview you, but that's not the same what others do. They don't. They know that in this country, uh, we have Vanessa Nakati, we have Greta Thunberg, you know, those are the big names they always call. Because they are used to sweet speeches and they'll be like, yes, we would like to hear from her. What is she going to say? But what actually is she delivering? That's a question. Mm. That's interesting. And one of those one of those reasons is for a TED talk as well, isn't it? Uh, or is that different? Yes. If I go, I'll give a TED talk. Yeah. And I'll be had, I believe, because that is a big platform. Yeah. Huge. But I can't, say, I can't say I'm hard when I haven't attended it. Yeah. No, but I mean, one of those visas is to attend a TED talk and you're not getting yes, that visa through. One, one yeah. is to attend TED talk, another one is attending humanitarian conference yeah. in Vienna. In Vienna, Austria. Do you think um, in Uganda this sort of message is coming across? I mean, you know, here in the UK, I feel like it's it's up and down. It's definitely more voices. Um, yeah. It's hard to quantify whether people listen. But Ooh. I'm interested in stories, like you said, in different countries around the world, whether it feels like something's changing or not. Yeah, because most of the time when we talk, they they tend to panic. They tend to panic mm. and they tend to do something. Yesterday, I attended one of the events here in Uganda where they are trying to collect information concerning youth activists. What, what are their messages? Yeah, That shows that they are now focused on getting what youth want, what are their demands. Yeah. But this has come after we showing them that we can do something, meaning we are hard. The next thing is giving us chance to be on the table. Yeah. After the table, time for implementation. Yeah. Because you can't tell me the policymakers are aging, but you, we who are most likely to replace them, we are not yet on the table. Who is going to replace them when we are still being excluded? Yeah, I feel like that's such a big message. This is having people in charge who don't represent everyone. Um, yes. It feels like a problem, doesn't it? The same happened to COP, COP26. COP26 pretended that it will be uh, a do or die, but it was just, a, I call it what? a conference where people go and uh, meet up, uh, share some conversation from their last meetings, you know? Yeah, but yeah. nothing, nothing new. The only new thing they were expecting was from us, but we never attended. Even those who got a chance were not given a chance to speak. Sure. That's a conference. You're telling me there are, key, they, <laughs> there are some keynotes they noted. I'm asking, where are they? Because today, uh, it is now seven months ever since the, the conference was hosted. 
but I can tell you there's no result. UK as the organizer, they have already approved more than five fossil fuel projects mm. from Cambo, Jackdo, all those are already out. They are being approved this very year. Yeah. And you are telling me when actually they told us that without fossil fuel, we can achieve our global goals. And everyone was like, yes, this time around, fossil fuel has been put on the table. Uh, they are going to stop it. Tell me how far have we gone? Six months or seven months so far. Where is the results? UK, the organizers, they are already showing us that whatever we discussed was just in words. But the reality is we are proving more and more. France is already here pushing one of the projects known as ECOP East Africa Oil Pipeline, meaning nothing came to conclusion. Those were just words. Yeah. And they ended in a in the room that's where that where it was discussed from. So it ended there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, I know what you mean. It's it's like loopholes. So when France says we have these goals for our country by this time they put the problems in other places and like like you're saying if you do it every four or five years it's kind of revisiting what happened four years ago and a lot of the targets that were done you know this at the most recent cop um in glasgow they were targets that were set a few years ago and then they're like okay yeah we're gonna do these now it's, it's just always like, oh, yeah, what we did four years ago. It's like, you should, no, no, like every year this is getting worse and worse and worse and quicker and quicker, isn't it? So, Repeating the conversation, repeating the same messages, just adjusting and twisting words. That's all we'll see every time. When yeah. there is okay, so something that I know, so you do, you involve yourself in the um, Fridays for Climate thing as well. Um, and I know that Greta Thunberg yeah. was she was she has an influence on you and you know you, you talk about her a little bit but something that i know you're involved with that interests me as a as a teacher especially as a biology teacher is um a climate curriculum and i just wanted to know a bit about what you think about a climate curriculum what you think might be on it um things like gender equality that people don't always associate with the climate crisis but it's a huge part of it it goes back from my story I gave, if I was a girl, today I've been married because I'm 24. Mm. I'll be with kids. But because I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a boy, it is so hard for me to just go into a relationship or into marriage because I have a lot to provide. I have a lot of ambitions compared to girls because right. for them, they are trained from day one that they are supposed to be mothers. This is where the narrative should change. Yeah. They are also leaders, but due to the impacts of climate change, sometimes they are forced to drop out of school to go into marriage or to go into, to go to some people who can provide them with some food or money. You know, they need a lot of basic needs which sometimes parents can't provide, this forces them to look for a way forward. That's how we have lost, we have lost many girls and women who were meant to be leaders or powerful policymakers. 
This all linked to climate change. When you go back to education, climate education in Africa at large is not yet implemented. We are still struggling with fighting uh, literacy. Climate change literacy is needed, but again, people are still illiterate. Even uh, the language barrier is making it so hard for people to access the information yeah. concerning climate because there are some countries that are not so much good in, uh, maybe even English is not yet implemented in their countries. Some are speaking different languages and most of the conversation concerning climate change is in English and too much science, too deep in science. So uh, I started educating young about climate change, not because I know much, but I believe the little I can offer can change someone's mind either to become a scientist or to become a climate activist like me. Yeah. I have a book. I have a book known as Our Changing Climate. This book was given to me by UNICEF after realizing that my goal was worth it. And they're like, yeah, Maurice, we did this book in 2017 and not many people were using it. So we can give you a copyright to be a distributor. So from there, I've been distributing it to many schools, mm. also giving it to teachers because not all teachers can teach about climate change. Yeah. And many of them are not aware of it because I, I used to ask them, I used to ask them questions in my book and not many can answer. So meaning they also need some they need to be also educated about it. Teachers themselves are not aware of climate change. They need lessons, lectures, good lectures about it so they can start teaching it. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's. I think people get defensive about the idea of being needing to be educated, but it's all just supporting one another and teaching us new things about stuff that will impact all of our lives. Um, but yeah, I think it's such an important part of education to include climate, climate change, climate yeah. science. Yeah, even uh, when you come to how to implement it is also so hard because if you can't go there physically, you may wish maybe if you had a computer, uh, if everyone was able to access internet, if everyone had a smartphone, maybe you could be teaching them through your let's say here, yeah. when they are ready to stream workshops and so on. But my country, the little smartphone is still down. The cost of internet data is high. Everything is complicated. Implementation needs you to be physically there. Yeah, yeah that's such a barrier, isn't it? These days when everything's online, such a barrier. And um, just talking about young people, what is one thing that you would recommend people do to help prevent the climate crisis? Yeah, preventing is not easy when there are still a lot of barriers. Yeah. Yeah, like ignorance, because ignorance, for me, I call it there. When you don't last, when you don't have information, lack of information is death, because there are things that are easy to solve when you are aware of it. Yeah. And this climate education helps you to boost your skills even it can help us come out with new innovators because the more you learn, the more you think. You never know through thinking you can come out with a very wonderful solution. You have seen people innovating, coming up with applications that we never thought they can happen. They can be helpful for this world. So it's all about giving people knowledge, but without knowledge, 
You want to kill people. That's why I call leaders killers. Because wherever you hide away, like hide someone away from information, you are hiding them from surviving. Nyombi, you're an amazing dude. Um, I really, really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, and uh, yeah, wish you all the best with the visas. And I'm going to follow your journey. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. So just wanted to say thank you so much. I think everyone will be really stoked about this episode. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Uh, life has been so hard i know but this doesn't mean it is the end because a lot are still are coming i know a lot are coming so if this fails always there is some good good thing after a loss <laughs> yeah, yeah even if you lose 100 opportunities but there is always that one opportunity that will come and it will boost you up so i don't rely so much on this because I believe there is something good also to all who are out there who might listen to this. One thing I can tell them, it is not it's not always too late for you to do something or to start now. You may say you are late, but you never know. You may start today and people listen to you more than me because I've seen this. I've seen this so many times. Your solution might be worth spreading. So don't sit on yourself and think that, you know, everything has been been said all over. So what am I going to bring to the world? No. What you have today is enough for you to spread. Just check out. Try out and be like, yeah, let me try. Will this solution work? You never know how many will like it. We have been uh, reading news. We have been reading everything on the internet, but today they are looking for us. Why are they not looking for those who write the news? That's the question. Because you may say, ah, no, the one who wrote this article knows a lot. But again, they'll be like, no, let us go to Africa. Who is there? However much you manage to go, let's say, Max, you manage to come to Africa and you did your surveys and everything. But again, there will be someone who'll be like, ah, no, Max, what Max got? was not enough let us go back mm. you get so always you are not always too late okay it's not always too late for you to start now so don't believe that climate action will be good from one person or it is just a one man's cause no it is a global cause and the least contributor continue to suffer the most we need uh people from global north mostly those who are not in leadership the the citizen to be aware of what their countries are doing in our countries so that they can use that chance to pressure them to stop because without their support we are also doing nothing because our message doesn't cross borders doesn't cross borders unless you have followers who are from different countries that's why we always put so much to get in touch with people from different countries so that they can share what we want leaders to do Thank you.
Growing up in growing up in eastern Uganda, Nyombi Morris's life has been dictated by climate disaster. At the age of nine, awful flooding hit Nyombi's town. At the age of nine, awful flooding hit Nyombi's town, and his family was forced to move to Kampala, the capital of Uganda. From there, he's gone on a serious journey and overcome a number of obstacles to get to where he is, including going back to school after years out, getting onto the job ladder by managing footballers' social media accounts, and now he lives the challenges of being a young Ugandan man trying to speak up about climate change. More and more people are talking about how the effects of climate change are felt unevenly around the world. Nyombi has experienced these effects firsthand, and he's used that experience as motivation to try and stop what happened to him happening to other people. It feels obvious to say that his story is inspiring, um, but what feels most important about Nyombi's message is that he has real-life experience of being part of the climate crisis, and voices like his need to be represented. A pre-warning about the audio quality, uh, Nyombi was in a shared space while recording in Kampala, so at times his audio is a bit unclear, but it definitely doesn't take away from his fascinating story on his work in climate issues. But it doesn't, but it definitely doesn't take away from his fascinating story into working on climate issues and how he got there.